News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC coming at you once again from election night, part two. Uh, again, August, very low turnout. Uh, with me right now are Professor Christina Greer. Hello. Hello there, Harry. Katie Onan uh, calling in from uh, deeply socialist Queens. Hello. Hi. And what what sounds like the loudest corner in America? I just heard a motorcycle go by, the seven train. But I'm on the str- I'm, I'm right in front of PS One. So um, I was at Liz Crowley's party. But we can talk more about this that state Senate race that she lost in a little bit later. Party. Mm. And joining us right now is Ben Max, our ever gracious, ever insightful election night friend. Uh, is going to have, I think, a lot to say, starting with uh, Eric Adams, maybe starting with Eric Adams' very bad night. But Katie, since you're on the scene at uh, Liz Crowley's <laughs> quote unquote party, uh, just fill us in on this race and uh, how, how this has played out tonight in extremely socialist historian. Yeah, so Liz was running for state Senate uh, in a race that really just came down to her and Kristen Gonzalez, a Democratic socialist who had the endorsement of AOC and other um, prominent queens and other uh, DSA members. And, you know, I- I'll say you can never predict these these things too well. Um, but I-, I don't know what constitutes a blowout, right? But Liz lost by a pretty wide margin um, pretty early on, it, it seemed to be, you know, before 9.30, that seemed to be the case. Um, yeah, talking to voters today, I, you know, I heard from voters who said that they were happy with the endorsements that Gonzalez got. They liked her messaging. They liked that she was in the DSA. And this is a weird district. You know, this redrawn, this redrawn district is parts of Astoria, Long Island City, Greenpoint, Williamsburg, and then like a little sliver of Manhattan for some reason. I think David Brand tweeted that it's we got the Kips Bay movie theater that sometimes we go to. I don't know if it's a cultural uh, marker for us, but but I think the, the people that really came out was that really left Western Queens faction. You know, someone who was a volunteer for uh, Gonzalez today told me that he sees people coming out for the movement, not so much just the candidate, but this movement. So that's what we saw. Crowley's party was at LIC bar. You know, she conceded pretty early on and, and said she spoke to Kristen and wished her luck and... Um, my colleague, George Joseph at the city had written about some of the money funneling to Liz Crowley's race. I mean, she really out, outraised um, Gonzalez. But again, it comes down in, in an August 23rd primary. It comes down to maybe people believing in the movement that Gonzalez represents and, and her story as well. So that's what we had here. Um, there was pizza at Liz Crowley's party, but then the Mets lost. So to make to, to really add on to it. Um, so that's that's reporting live from Long Island City, I guess. Hey, Katie, thank you for calling in and reporting live. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. Bill Mahoney of Politico had a, a sharp tweet, a complete list of places in American history that have had socialist representation in Congress, both houses of the state legislature and the city council at the same time. Milwaukee, 1913. Astoria, 2023. So so that is something. Uh Ben, welcome. Um, you, you tweeted that it was a bad night for, for Eric Adams. Uh, that, that really appears to be so. He endorsed all these candidates who were running against incumbents and challengers, WFP candidates. It looks like that whole slate may go down. There, there's one race where 
an incumbent has declared victory, but it hasn't been called yet. Just can you step back for a minute and just sort of give the uh, the broader picture of what's happened with the local races tonight, as best we know it, as we're recording, by the way, at 11.05 p.m. on election night? Yeah, I think, I mean, thanks for having me. And, and I think, you know, with a lot of these results, there's there's some clear uh, results. And then uh, some of them are still to be seen with a lot of paper still out there. We don't know how many of these absentee ballots are going to come in. The counting system has been much improved now that they're opening ballots as they come in. And we're not waiting uh, at least a week to start opening them. So a lot of, lot of paper has been accounted for, but a lot still out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, Mayor Adams has has had a bad night. Uh, you know, he he got a victory in endorsing State Senator Kevin Parker in Brooklyn, who's going to hold on to his seat against uh, a leftist challenger. But otherwise, it looks like, you know, his other endorsees or people he was supporting in different ways uh, are, are pretty much all going down. And that, you know, includes these um, these moderate challengers to a bunch of uh, leftists who are either sitting legislators or in this open seat that Katie was talking about um, in this new 59th state Senate district, um, where a Democratic Socialist, Kristen Gonzalez, now looks like she's going to join others in the in the state Senate. So uh, not a good night for the mayor politically. Um, This has been written about several places, including in the Times, how he didn't have to get involved in these races, right? I mean, this is him. He already um, made a pretty bad bed for himself in Albany by the way he handled some intergovernmental relations earlier this year. And now he looks like he's uh, been determined to make it worse for himself through this through these gambles that, um, you know, we're not some of them were not very good bets. Some some were better than others, um, but uh, even even less hospitable environment probably awaits him uh, next session in Albany. But, you know, some of that will obviously depend on what kind of term he's on with whoever the governor is. And that's not even talking about the speaker's race. He got weirdly involved in, in a way mayors usually get very strongly involved in and ended up not getting his, in fact, uh, his attack pick there, uh, you know, in New York City. Um there are a few races people were tracking closely. We've talked about on this podcast. Sean Patrick Maloney romped in 17. Uh, Nadler romped in 12, way ahead of Maloney, who was again ahead of Patel. And then we have New York 10, which is super duper interesting. And like the math with leftist candidates has sometimes been that they benefit from low turnout elections. In this case, as of 11, 10, it looks like Dan Goldman may be just ahead of Yulin Yu, who definitely benefited from tactical voters who did not like Goldman for, for whatever reasons, because he was the guy who was obnoxiously endorsed by the Times of Trump. He spent $4 million in an attempt to sort of buy, buy a seat. Um, he may just hold on. She may, if she does come just short, run in the general on the working families party line, which means instead of a eight candidate field where as of right now, you know, she's at like 23, you have two other candidates who are uh, um, Rivera and Jones, who if you add them all up, 
would be way, way ahead. I don't know how that math works, but that seems like a really interesting race and one that, that, that is not going to conclude. Tonight, an update. At 12.39 a.m., just after this pod was recorded, the AP indeed called the Democratic primary for Goldman, though New has yet to concede it. And again, you're looking at low turnout, but part of that is we've had two primaries this year. It's August. And part of that is lots of New Yorkers don't actually have any competitive risks on their ballots. So so it's something like 2.3 million this time around versus I think 3.6. Oh, one Republican race, you know, we've talked about and worth, it's been worth watching. That's unclear as of now is uh, Nick Langsworthy versus, uh, you know, Trumpy, uh, foul-mouthed, raver, lunatic, racist, uh, Carl Palladino upstate, which looks uh, very close at this point and is maybe a proxy for the Republican Party. Nah, they're both they're both super, super Trumpy. It's just a matter of... Um, Style. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, virtually no one w- w- wants Carl Palladino, you know, to be a representative of the Republican Party, except Elise Stefanik, Voters. apparently. But um, and maybe some voters, yeah. <laughs> but Nick Langworthy, you know, is it, it's funny. Uh, he's you know he's uh he's seen as the more moderate of that Republican race, but he's fully supportive of Trump's lies about the election and so forth. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Quite a contest there. And Christina, the Times had their their endorsements, including of a publisher, family friend, and Goldman. Um, it was a striking picture, you know, for this. Considers itself progressive liberal paper. Like here are the right white men for uh, New York. Two of them have definitely won. The third may win. Like, like, what does all this say? And as we have Florida results coming in as well about the state of uh, the Democratic Party in New right. York well, and, and yeah. nationally. Well, you know, Harry, we missed you last week, and when Katie and I had to hold it down, we had a brief conversation because I thought. The sweeping indictment of the Times and sort of their their three white guy endorsement was a teeny bit unfair just because, you know, Jerry Nadler, it made sense that they endorsed Nadler. I mean, he beat Carolyn Maloney and Patel like they stole Mm -hmm. something. I mean, you know, that knowing that district, knowing the Upper West Side, it made sense that they would endorse him, you know. Carolyn Maloney was on the wrong side of vaccinations. Patel, you know, thinks that people were voting for him. They were actually voting against Maloney these last few times. So that made sense. Obviously, the Times would would choose Sean Patrick over Biagi because in that purple district, I can't see the Times ever endorsing someone who's far to the left. That's just not what they do. Now, where I did think the the critique was warranted was with Goldman because if anyone's ever been in a hiring meeting, you know, I'm in academia— you hear a lot of conversations when white candidates, white male candidates come through, and it's always about, well, he's a good fit. You never hear that about anybody else, right? And so that Times endorsement really felt like they were just saying, well, it's like, well, we don't really know him, but we know everybody kind of like him, and he's like in our set, so he's a good fit. They sprinkled in, obviously, lots of praise for Mondaire Jones, yet they did not endorse him. So, so it's much like, praise, so much praise. Know, it was it was like, you, you would think so, it ends up in mailers, the whole thing. Then don't do it, right? Because mm-hmm. at this point now, it's an insult. Um, you know, and a lot of people are like, well, they really, you know, it's almost like a 50-50 endorsement, except for it wasn't, because we didn't see a picture of Mondaire Jones <laughs> when we saw a picture of Jerry Nadler and Sean Patrick. So... The the endorsement of Goldman, I think, 
may have worked against him with some of the progressive voters, not progressive voters that were going to vote for him anyway, but people who feel like, should you be able to buy yourself a congressional seat? And that last little influx of cash that Goldman gave himself may have made certain voters feel a touch uncomfortable. What I think is interesting, though, when you say you add up Rivera and Jones and you lean and you could get, obviously, this large number against uh, Dan Goldman, the difference is Mondaire Jones and Carolyn Rivera didn't drop out. So this isn't horseshoes, it's not hand grenades. Who cares? I mean, those those candidates still got their votes and it won't be enough. Let's just say Goldman wins. You know, no one dropped out necessarily to coalesce around a sort of anti-Goldman candidate like we saw in some of these press conferences that, that, that candidates were doing uh, in the final hours when, you know, they were sort of teaming up and sort of having these um, seemingly policy discussions. But it was it was essentially sort of we don't have the money and the power of Dan Goldman, so let's try and like, you know, combine forces um, in these, these, I, I never understand these press conferences where it's like, we're going to sit here and kind of talk about our opponent low key, but <laughs> all you're doing is making people think about your opponent um, and not you, especially so close to the election. The last thing I will say um, in, in thinking about money is Carolyn Maloney shifting back to 12 took a lot of money out of her retirement to try and win this race. And I just think that that seeing the numbers now, I know that they're not solidified, but I mean, Nadler won decisively. This isn't going to be a question as to, you know, can we challenge the the results? I don't know if a septuagenarian should take money out of their retirement to run a race. I mean, obviously she really wanted the seat. She came in, you know, you're the woman in 1992, Roe versus Wade is still on the table, sadly. And I know that she wanted to fight much more in Washington, D.C. But I'm sort of thinking, what does Carolyn Maloney think this evening when she's looking at uh, a few hundred thousand dollars out of her retirement and she does not have a, a job to go to in January? I think the, the, these old people in 12 who've had power for a long time really wanted to leave them in their own terms. And I'm going to come right back Sprangle to that. style. Wrangle style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and for New York City, it means that we're losing with Maloney going. And I think both of them are in significant ways a bit over the hill. But that doesn't matter on the hill where seniority is everything. And this was part of the challenge for Patel was saying fresh blood is nice and all, but but like who who really wants to swap somebody who has significant power? to accomplish things for a junior backbencher, whether or not Democrats hold the majority, is just going to vote with the party and not be able to bring much in. Uh, One person who had some really interesting surprise cameos in the last week I was not expecting is, uh, you know, former controller and one-time top-tier mayoral candidate, Scott Stringer. Um, He showed up in the Nadler-Maloney race where Maloney's closing argument was won. I'm not saying... Jerry Nadler is senile, but the New York Post certainly is. And two, isn't he just going to give the seat to Scott, who, by the way, presently lives in the financial district, which is in New York 10, so would have to move in the next two years if that were to be so. Uh, Secondly, Scott came up again in a very interesting context in in New York 10, uh, where 
the candidates got asked a very generic question, you know, who'd you vote for for mayor? And Yuli Niu gave an answer where she said she voted for Maya Wiley and also for Ah Chang. She didn't say which order she ranked them in. And uh, Scott Stringer, who'd floated maybe a year ago, um, that, that, hey, one of these uh, young progressives who'd endorsed me, who backed off, actually texted me their ballot saying I was number one. Somebody shared that ballot, you take your guess, and and, and said, look, it's you, and who now says that wasn't my ballot that I sent to Scott. This is all confusing, but it, it was very interesting to see him re-emerging in the course of this and amid speculation that he could replace Nadler, who was backbenched in the Trump impeachment from a committee that he would normally lead, uh, you know, in two years. Yeah, the, the Yulene story was a little kooky, a little sort of last minute, like, huh, someone texted him the ballot. You know, why would mm -hmm. you why would you text someone else's ballot to someone, you know, was it trying to I mean, if, if her story that she said is true, it's like, were you trying to what still keep Scott on your good side by lying to him? You know, are you texting all the candidates with ballots where, you know, you <laughs> pretended you, you know, you're like, don't worry, Sean Donovan, I ranked you too. Ray McGuire, I got you. It's a very bizarre thing. But it was kind of funny. I had to say, I mean, seeing the reemergence of Scott Stringer in that, in that, in, in this race that has been a little crazy race, a very crowded race with all these different candidates. It was crazy. The whole thing was nuts. I mean, you might say, why would Scott dog her out now? Um, but I guess all fair in, in politics, you should not be texting or, or taking a photo of your ballot. We were all reminded on Twitter by the legal experts. You're, it is illegal Back. to do that. Um, I think, I think I took a picture of my ballot cause I, last year I said, I'm not going to remember what rank, uh, what order I ranked all five of these people. Mm. So let me, at least for my own memory, take a picture of this, but, um, yeah. So Ben, Ben, before you come in with like proper analysis, I just want to say, hey, what was that? that no, was no, no, no. Sorry, 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 Katie. I'm, I'm oh, about to agree. No, Katie, I'm about to agree with you like one thousand percent. I want Ben to sort of, you know, give give a Ben Max answer, but I'm I'm with Katie on like, Katie, I'm going to just translate your your analysis and just say I'm summing it up with the word messy. I feel like that is what I think of Yulene New. I think of messy, like. There's something about, I don't know if it's her campaign style. I don't know what the deal is, but it just seems real messy. And so I think Scott Stringer might have a sneaky scorched earth strategy because don't forget, there are a lot of young progressive female candidates that he assisted in their varying stages and they cut bait real fast with him. Um, even before I would argue certain facts were came to light. It was just sort of accusations came to light. And they were all like, listen, me too, we're out. Scott never existed. And so I think that there's, I think there is bad blood because he's saying, you know, did I get the benefit of the doubt? I, I was a mentor to a lot of you. Like, you all should know me. Now, to be fair, Scott Stringer has been in, in office for decades and no one came to his defense hardly um, when this, this came out. So I'm, I'm curious as to how deep his friendships really are. But I, I think that in this particular situation, certain voters in the 10th might be looking at Yuli New like, wow, it seems as though there's just little, there are little parts of her stories that just don't always add up. And I'm, I'm curious if enough voters are going to feel like, 
do we need that kind of New York, D.C. messiness? I'm not sure. And so we'll see how that shakes out. I do, last point, I do think that we'll be looking at a Nadler Stringer baton passing to sort of get over this generational divide, the the argument that Patel was trying to make, these septuagenarians are taking over. I do think that um, it's more than just Maloney being hyperbolic, saying, you know, Nadler to Stringer is, is, you know, what they're planning on. Um, I I would not be shocked within the next two years if we saw Jerry Nadler like, eh, I'm going to leave. And just to sort of solidify it, once Scott's in that seat, he's technically an incumbent. So it's not going to be a quote unquote open seat. I think, you know, that would be a nice gift to Scotty because so many New York politicos talk about Scotty and like what he deserves, you know, and they talked about, you know, he should have been mayor. And it's like, how? Like, let the voters decide, as de Blasio always says. <laughs> but shout out to Katie. Katie, I agree with your analysis. <laughs> I'm running up your Speaking of, Bill de Blasio got like a couple hundred votes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It might encourage him. If, if you voted for Bill de Blasio <laughs> after he dropped out of this race, send me a note. I'd like to hear from yeah, DM you. DM Ben on Twitter. I'm, We're cur- I'm curious. Three- I'm very curious. Harry, I have a lot of things to say, but you were about to say something. <laughs> Oh, real, real briefly with Scott Stringer, you know, interestingly, I think some of the facts, as you were saying, you see, they haven't come out. I think they still haven't come out. And that that, that is a lingering, interesting story with the, these accusations that came in the middle of a mayoral race were not fully answered or litigated and were nonetheless politically fatal. With Yulin, very messy, a whole number of ways. Uh, arguably very, very principled and solid in others. And plainly, at least on this election night, we may have a second one coming up. Uh, if she does run on the WFP line, um, and it, assuming she falls short of Goldman, as it appears at 11.22, but this race, and he, he, he is not called. She said she is not conceding anything tonight. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see if the messiness matters more in a head-to-head contest or if the idea, which I think actually has weird value, that that that, that it doesn't really matter for the district, um, and this is a chance to send some sort of signal, and we don't want somebody, in a sense, buying the uh, the seat. Uh, we would like more diverse representation, more progressive representation, plays out, and the messiness stuff just slips away, which in some ways would be an interesting parallel with what happened at the state level with, with Julia Salazar, although that's its own can of worms um just thinking of messy things um and with those thoughts ben please jump right in let me try to see if i can say four or five things quickly and have them be somewhat coherent together uh let me just say first in new york 10 i mean goldman looks very likely to win right there's a whole there's thousands of absentee ballots out there only a portion of them will actually come in valid He's, you know, got a 1300 vote lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's he as we sit here, he's very likely to win, but he was calling himself the Democratic nominee. He probably shouldn't have done that. I tweeted that earlier. Like, I, I think that was a little getting out ahead of himself, as I said, especially as someone who's like running on defending democracy. He should have, you know, been a little more cautious than that, even though he is very likely to to win here. I think this would be a fascinating experiment in the WFP actually running their own candidate in a general election, yes. which they almost never do, um, because there's re- there's no risk of playing spoiler here. Uh, 
you know, it would be a really interesting experiment in one of these deep, deep blue districts uh, for the WFP to actually do that in a, in a general election. Um, at the same I mean, time, gift to the political class. Yeah, yes, to us. yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, at the same time, you know, I was also thinking earlier, I don't know if Mondaire Jones drops out, even if he endorses Yulene New, which I think would be fairly unlikely, maybe may possible. Um, I don't know that all of his votes go to her or even that high of a percentage. I mean, a lot of Mondaire Jones voters might be Dan Goldman, you know, in a ranked choice system mm -hmm. might be mm -hmm. Dan mm -hmm. Goldman second place. Anyway, it would be very interesting to see in a general election uh, what that might look like. And there'll be a lot more voters uh, in the fall. So, you know, that that poses an interesting test, too. This was a very interesting test for the WFP, as we wrote about at Gotham Gazette. But of course, when you have these several progressive, more progressive candidates, you know, in the race, uh, it complicates things. Um, you know, I also think it's like a little silly how Dan Goldman's being called a conservative by people that, you know, is is a little bit of a stretch, uh, if not a lot. Uh, well, you, you only put out a memo saying Trump endorsed him, which was just, oh, we don't need to get stuck there. But I mean, talk about messy. Again, messy. Just yeah. messy. Like, that's not necessary. It's just, and, you know, it's really the not. thing on the string to connect to the stringer thing, you know, the thing is, the thing is that Yuli knew is running on being sort of courageous and being willing to speak up against people. And she did that against Andrew Cuomo, for example. And there is some of that. Absolutely. As you said, Harry, like some very consistent principled. Uh, you know, track record there. But at the same time, when you get something like what happened in the Stringer situation and then the texting of the ballot, and then they say mm -hmm. it's not her ballot, that's mm -hmm. like the opposite of that. You know, I mean, just own it, you know, just, just own it. Um, and, and that Stringer situation was very messy and people, he, he especially handled it very poorly, uh, and could have done something, I think very differently to maybe retain some of that support, but absolutely he felt after all of these close allies dropped him he's he's absolutely out to get them back and that's part of why he once she said that released the, the released the text message i think the plan all along was for nadler to hand that seat off to stringer if stringer did not become mayor but then things got very complicated by the fact that stringer had these scandals erupt while he was in that race and did so poorly jerry nadler was one of the people that did not abandon him however and so that plan may still be in place even though nadler when challenged in this race said I will serve a full term. We all know that that's obviously easy to go back on. But I don't think, you know, I think there's going to be at least at least a couple people who are not so ready and willing to stand aside and just let that baton be handed off. And I think people like State Senator Brad Hoyleman is like among the top there. And Hoyleman did some very interesting things with his endorsements, including endorsing Dan Goldman uh, in these races. And he was right there at Jerry Nadler's victory party. So there's just one, one potential name who might try to, you know, change that plan if it's still in the works about handing things off for, uh, for Scott Stringer. So that'll absolutely be something interesting to watch there. And, you know, Stringer's probably looking at apartment rentals in, uh, in the new New York absolutely. 12 as we speak. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I think we'll, be right back here in two years talking about New York 10 or excuse me, New York 12 with the same fervor that we've talked about in New York 10. I mean, even if he hands it over to Scott Stringer, it will sort of feel like an open seat if people aren't going to sort of sit by and, and let Scott kind of take it. If, if that's what that baton handoff looks like. And then it's just, it's it's a free-for-all because there are so many ideologically diverse candidates within the New York Democratic Party. 
um, to say nothing of the new folks who can give themselves a few million dollars and also uh, become major players in in the race. I mean, that that changes the calculus in so many ways because we will have, you know, city council members, state senators, state legislators, and millionaires uh, who, who are doing this. And not saying that they, they shouldn't be able to run, but I think money will change how we see candidates. And last point, though, I do want to, I raised this last week with Katie and we had a, a robust conversation about Mondaire Jones. Listen, fortune favors the bold. You should have stayed <laughs> in your district and run and told Sean Patrick, bring it. You know, if you want to run, I know they probably cut some deal, whatever. I don't know what he was promised. I don't know what he was told. But it's looking like he may soon be unemployed in the U.S. House of Representatives. And if you want to represent people, I don't understand for the life of me why he didn't stay in his own district and fight for his own voters. I don't get it. What made you think that you could roll down an hour and a half south and all of a sudden, miraculously become a congressman. And I know that over the summer, earlier in the summer, it seemed it was like a Jones versus Rivera conversation. But those Montero Jones is, is a solid third right now. Third. Can, can, so, can. Ben, walk us walk me no, through just, this. I, I I've totally been agree with you. For a while. Totally agree with you. Um, you know, but also he, you know, I mean, he really got big footed out by. Sean Patrick cool. Maloney and probably Nancy Pelosi, who wound up endorsing him and, you know, in this race, but it was a disastrous career decision to not stay and try to make it a one-on-one. Uh, it turned out, I mean, you know, they probably had some, some questions and some, some polling there. You know, I, I mean, I, I do want to say two quick things. One, the amount of money that Dan Goldman has put into this race is absolutely mm-hmm. worth underscoring, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you were just denim getting- dynasty. That's my favorite line, the denim dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're a million this- dollars personal money for every other significant, vaguely significant candidate in the race. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, the amount of money that he just himself put in for himself, uh, mm-hmm. somewhere around $4 million is yep. just, is just obscene. And, and you know that's that's absolutely worth noting, whether you agree with his politics or not. Um, and we should also note, though, that the New York Times editorial board seems to have picked three winners here. We'll see what happens with Goldman, but um, that endorsement could easily have made the the margin here. Probably did, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even if the voters in this district are some of the most you know highly educated and civically engaged in the city they're still paying attention obviously to that endorsement and in a, in a narrow race that might have made the difference so that's pretty interesting i also you know i found carlina rivera's candidacy so interesting i covered her for a long time in the city council you know i think i think she sort of found her voice and her her platform here in this race but a little bit going back to the yuli new conversation too you know, she's sort of shifted around a bunch over these last few years with, you know, sort of um, a lot of people got caught up in a lot of the, you know, sort of defund the police stuff, which I think she mostly believes in and has continued to defend. But she's sort of been all over the place dabbling with the DSA and then running away from it and, you know, stuff like that. So I think she looked a little disingenuous to some, especially on the left, who gravitated towards new, even though just lastly on this, I think this race has been one of of a number that are are continuing to get at one of the really important themes in New York politics right now, which is like, what does it mean to be progressive on issues related to housing and growth in the city? And Yuli New is is very, you know, has been criticized as being a NIMBY. I don't know that I would necessarily call her that, but she's 
you know, she's much more reluctant to sort of get to yes and and supporting certain projects and is infamously opposing this Haven Green project in Manhattan. Um, but I think that that's, you know, that's been a really interesting theme here. And I don't think these results, you know, are any sort of indicator as to where that's at. But that conversation is really bubbling up in, in New York right now as the housing affordability crisis continues to be, you know, probably the top issue in New York. Just to piggyback there, two interesting things. You had at least one survey showing that guns and crime were the number one issue in pretty damn super safe NY10, and you would never have known that following the race. It was also striking to see, at least based on, on public appeals and Twitter and election day coverage, including from Gwen Hogan at uh, WNYC Gothamist, uh, to see people talking about tactically shifting from Rivera to new because of polling showing new with, with a slim but significant lead into second place, given the very different lanes, including on housing, that the two occupied. And so while the Times endorsement, I think, probably did help marginally, it also, I, I think, generated even more tactical voting in this really crowded uh crowded field that you know it's hard to take morals from a lot of this because it's so bank shoddy when you have four five six seven eight reasonably significant candidates in a race and like two of the top five leading candidates doing press conferences together saying don't vote for this other guy mm -hmm. just quickly on that i gotta say i was surprised mondaire jones did as well as he's doing and if the times editorial board had gone with him he maybe he wins this thing. I, you know, mm -hmm. that might have been enough of a nod to voters in this district to get over not really knowing him that well. Right. I, I don't know. Or if they go, and he, he had the work Rivera, she to spend money in that case if, if, if they had right. endorsement and let everyone but know. Yet they didn't. Right. And everyone keeps saying, it's like, yep. well, they, they were so praiseworthy. He's like, yet and still they didn't endorse. So say what you will about the New York Times. But here's my question let's just say Goldman's victorious. Do we see this kind of matchup again in two years with new kind of serving as a, a Patel type candidate where it's just like, I'm going to come back again and, and possibly again because there are enough folks in that district uh, who might ideologically be to the left of Goldman or do I, I mean I know you don't like to sort of do prospecting like this, but I am sort of looking towards twenty twenty four with way more voters participating. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully not having an August primary <laughs> shift back to a normal June situation. Um, do we think that New is is going to if she's not victorious, is she just going to sort of make this her cause? Well, the, I mean, the first question as we've got is like, do they actually try to run this general election on the WFP line if if Goldman comes out of the primary on top? But then, but then after that, if let's just say New loses the primary, maybe even runs the general, loses, you know, she gave up her assembly seat here, and so what's she going to do? You know, I don't know. You know, it'll be very interesting to see what her next act might be if she is in fact out of office and doesn't win this race. Um, you know, that could, that could be interesting leading up to that. I mean, my sense is that there isn't going to be some big progressive outcry to take out Dan Goldman, you know, in a year and yeah. change yeah. and, and, you know, trying to raise the amount of money to, you know, I, I just don't, I don't personally see it again. I think he's been sort of, 
in this field, he's more moderate to conservative. And he obviously made a, a really big mistake with his comments on abortion in one interview. Maybe that's how he actually felt and seems like maybe it really was. So maybe there's, you know, some real room for progressives to be uh, very skeptical of him on that. But I just, I don't know that I see him getting into Congress and then there being a big outcry for a primary, but maybe. Quick follow-up and then closer for everyone. Uh, so we've talked a bunch about you. Um, you know, you had the famous roommates with uh, Ramos and New and Biagi. You know, Biagi, who also did the musical chairs, is looking at Swazi's district and then ends up moving to Maloney's district and does not do well there. Uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, tale of two Maloney's. Um, <laughs> does this say, what's her future? Does this say anything about that, that wave of uh, further left progressives in Albany or nationally or anything else? Or is this just a result of circumstances? I mean, I think it's more circumstances because we're seeing, you know, Kristen Gonzalez come in now yeah, in this yeah. open seat and we're seeing Jabari Brisport easily fend off a challenger yes. from the right. And, you know, one of the one of the things we didn't talk about is, you know, Gustavo Rivera, the state senator from the Bronx, yep. seemingly holding off against a massive effort to yes. oust him from the state Senate from Adriano Espayat, lots of uh, outside money, the whole Bronx establishment and mayor adams supporting his opponent uh and robert jackson holding on to his seat against a whole bunch of espayat backed and other backed uh opponents so those that was a really interesting storyline here um yeah i mean i think for both new and biagi they kind of just got ambitious which is totally fine in politics right and and it didn't work out you know i mean it seems like it's not going to work out for new we'll see but uh, you know, I think that was it. I mean, when I interviewed Biagi right after she announced her candidacy, I said, you know, you just got to the state Senate. What, you know, you you really want to try to do this, uh, you know, uphill battle against Sean Patrick Maloney. And she said, I, I've accomplished everything I came to the state Senate to accomplish. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> that, that was where her that was where her head was at. She wanted to go to Congress, as you noted. So, uh, you know, uh uh, you know, I think it's individual circumstances. Jessica Ramos uh, didn't didn't go for higher office here, so we'll see what she winds up doing. But I think you know, eventually she'll be making some moves. That's the risk. You you run for election and you don't always win. So I don't know what their next moves will be. I don't know if there's any redistricting. Is there redistricting coming up where maybe another a, a seat will be carved out of something where you know they'll find themselves in a unique position to run. City um, council maps. Stay tuned. Well, that's what I was going to say about Yuli <laughs> New. You know, that would be pretty yeah. interesting. But that downtowns. I mean, she could take on Christopher Marte, but I don't know what would. You know, that that I was going to say that, but I didn't want to speculate too much. But since you opened the door, you know, uh, there there will be a whole city council election next year, so that'll be yeah. And Carlina Rivera didn't yeah. have to give up her seat, so she's still in the city council for a little while, and you know, we'll see what she does. 10 months to the city council, which means tomorrow it all starts. I just want to read someone uh, send a tweet that says, reminder that Richie Torres endorsed Elizabeth Crowley, Angel Vasquez, and Miguelina mm -hmm. Camilo, the L's he took tonight, LMAO. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? Shout out to Gustavo Rivera because he had literally the entire Bronx machine after him. And Adriana Espayat, I haven't heard from you since your election night back in the day. Mm -hmm, so, like, mm -hmm. you decide to wake up 
one day and want to take out a state senator. It's like, is this how you want to use your political capital? Because last I checked, you were the first undocumented member of Congress in the history of modern history of U.S. House of Representatives. You haven't been a leader on DACA. You haven't been a leader on immigration. You were completely silent during the Trump years. Like, where have you been? And now you want to wake up and try and take out someone in your own backyard. Like, use your capital for good or for something. But, like, this to me just seems like I'm glad he took the L. I don't know much about the Bronx machine and the politics, but it just seemed like that whole effort to coalesce around a state senator um, who isn't doing anything egregious just seemed real petty. I think those are the two words tonight. If this were PB's Playhouse, the two words of the evening, messy and petty. Just a tiny asterisk. It's 1140. As of 1120, when last I looked, Rivera has declared victory. But that race and looks very likely to win. But that race has not been formally called by by any news gathering agency I know of. But I, I am assuming the same thing, yeah. and that does mean it's like a clean sweep of uh, Adams, Torres, centrist, and Dorsey's just just getting uh, slapped around um, in in significant races. So closing words here, everyone. Uh, Katie, let's start with you. Me? Any moral from tonight? And what are you going to be watching closely between now and November? Moral? Um, that's a hard question. You know, just politics, a lot of L's in politics. Mm. I have to say, being at mm. a losing party, you really feel the, the vibe. You're reminded of just, um, I'm being very... Uh, philosophical it's it's you know you, you spend a lot of money Liz Crowley raised a ton of money and then she still took the L it's it's it, it actually when I'm at a losing party I feel that in every losing party I go to I just feel it I'm reminded of my own mortality of what why we're doing this <laughs> who is this but between now and November I mean like you noted I'm interested in if you lean new could you know if, if she if, if this gets called for Dan Goldman would you lean new run on the Working Families Party? Would it actually be successful for her? Now I'm thinking she might run for, you know, Ben Max has me thinking she might run in the council. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is that. Uh, I had this thought last year during the 2021 election. We had the, the largest number of candidates we'd ever had. And then I was reminded that that just means we have more losers than we've ever had. And not enough and that, voters. And that struck me so deep to my core. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, that's that. I will never forget being at Christine Quinn's uh, 2013 oh. primary night uh, event. That was that was a oh. lot of broken, broken hearts there. Uh, since I jumped in there, I'll just say yeah. um, the two primaries bad, very bad. Not only because of so many people's yes. uh, messed up summer plans, so many of these people are working on campaigns. Not to mention all of us. Uh, Shout out for giving ourselves some sympathy here. But uh, no, two two primaries, very bad. August primary, bad. Uh, along with what Katie said about, you know, what's going to happen with this New York 10 race. They were both obviously going to win their primaries, but Nicole Maliotakis and Max Rose came through as expected. And now that rematch is going to be potentially the only really competitive general election in New York City. Uh, he is unlikely to regain his seat, but it's possible. And, um, you know, New York 11 will again be 
uh, an interesting race to watch. So lots of heads can turn towards that in the next next few days, uh, as well as obviously the governor's race. And I'm going to say, um, you know, NBC News is projecting Pat Ryan over Molinaro in, wow. in uh, the New York 19 special election. Um, and so that was uh, Delgado's former seat. And that's, as you all know, he's the lieutenant governor candidate for our listeners. Um, so that that's something that I wasn't following very closely. Um, but all these things are quite interesting for November, but also in 2024. Um, moving forward everyone please vote this whole thing doesn't work <laughs> unless people vote whatever whatever's wrong with this system however screwy it is however many excessive election days we have good grief um and be watching in november just to see uh house well full democratic rule of new york state holds up and other moment when from the primaries, at least, you know, the center is not holding and there's some exhaustion. So plenty more to watch. Uh, Katie, great to have you on whoop, from whoop, the field. Thank you. Nestoria, Ben. But long Island you City, are, but I won't, you're a Brooklyn guy. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> <laughs> Back Jack. Ben, Ben, you're, you're a mensch. As uh, discussed offline, um, uh, we, we are all going to be taking you out for uh, drinks and dinner for years and years of this now before we take you up on it again in November. Now we're talking. Yeah. And Chrissy, you you have a way of uh, cutting through many layers of uh, <laughs> bullshit and saying something. It is so you know nice I'm jet to hear. Lag. You know I'm jet lagged, so my filter's already thin, so... Oh, <laughs> when goodness. I'm tired, here we are. I couldn't even keep track of how many people you, uh, you know, at the very least, gave a little elbow to tonight. So, Ooh. well, I mean, you know, they're I, super and I will, and I say this all the time. I do respect people who run for office. It's not mm -hmm. something I'm interested at all in ever doing, and so I, I do appreciate people who want to do public service, and I thank them for it, um, even when they have to take L's. But I, I have I have thoughts. I have thoughts on on folks. Um, and that's that's the risk you take when you put yourself out there to be a public servant. You know, I'm a citizen who votes early and often, Chicago style. So <laughs> I have analysis <laughs> about what I think people should be doing. Um, stay tuned. Much more to come. Chicago style. The two guys in the graveyard. One of them is stuck in front of <laughs> one headstone for like five minutes. The other guy says, Larry, what the fuck? He says, hey, this fellow's got just as much a right to vote as the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought Chicago style was with onions or is it the hot dog they do? I don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. Chopped onions and sauce. All right. On that uh, note. <laughs> goes down easy and We're comes out hard. Indeed. We, we've devolved. <laughs> Bye, guys. I got to go do some TV. I gotta Happy go election night, everyone. Happy election night. Bye. F-A-Q. F -A -Q. <laughs>